verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Jesus is going to tell us that we need to do what he says today. Uh, now, here's the thing. We're, we're Americans. Most of us are Americans, I should say. So I don't know all of you who are here today. Uh, as Americans, we have a tendency to not like to have anybody to tell us what to do or what to think about anything. And yet we do very much like to be able to tell other people what to do and think about their own other things, right? And, and in fact, if you know anything about the history of the Northwest, you may be new here. I am born and bred in the Northwest. Uh, the history of the Northwest is about a people who long so desperately to not have anybody tell them what to do about anything that we kept moving further and further and further and further and got here and said, wow, Alaska's really far. I think I will stay here. And then some people went to Alaska and they're busy having no one tell them what to do because they're in Alaska. And who's going to tell you what to do in Alaska? Nobody. Because there's nobody there. Um, however, however, the, the difference between Jesus and just anybody telling us what to do is Jesus is the one who's actually made everything. Jesus is the one who actually knows how the world works not just because he's a good sage or he has some good advice, but because he built the thing. Uh, he, he built the thing, he built life, and he built life to be lived in a certain way, and that was to know God and to love God and to enjoy God and to get maximum joy out of beholding the glory of who he is and walking in the ways that he's made for us. Now, we do something different than that, and we try and go it on our own, and we try and figure out on, life out on our own way, and that doesn't always go so well for us. But what we need to see is that when Jesus is talking here, he's not coming here. Though he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He's come because he loves us to tell us the truth and to get us back on the life centered around him. Let's just dig into the text here. Uh, John, chapter 15, uh, John 14, starting verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. Again, we don't necessarily like these kinds of things. And in fact, I think what's beautiful about 2014 is we're living in a time and a place where what are called the doctrines of grace have really reemerged, where people really love and embrace the reality that to be a Christian is not to earn God's love, but that God, in fact, has come to save us from ourselves. That we couldn't get to God and Jesus Christ had to get to us, Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together in God. That's who you are. You are a miracle if you're a Christian because you couldn't have chosen God because you were dead, and dead people don't make decisions. Jesus came to save you from yourself, and it's grace and it's mercy. And there's nothing, I'll say it again, there's nothing you can do to earn his love. Didn't you just tell me to keep his commandments? I thought this was grace-based. I thought this was gospel-centered. I, I, I thought I didn't have to do anything. I think the thing is that if we miss this, if you don't hear who Jesus is in his love, grace, glory, mercy, holiness, justice, and say, I want to get after that guy, and you don't say, he saved me for myself, and he's going to tell me how to live, and I want to do it, and our first response to Jesus, who's come and saved us, kicking and screaming, from false religion and from works and from wiling out. And we say to that God, but Jesus, I want to do whatever I want to do. Well, you know what I want to do got me? Nothing. Got me worse, got me death. Doing what I want to do was not the way to live. Doing what I want to do got me more of myself, which turns out is a complete and total drag. 
It got me more sin out of the deal. Uh, it got me more strife out of the deal. And more than anything, it got me further and further away from God. What Jesus has come to do is to save us and to give us life. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is like a parent. When your kid runs out in the street, do you say, well, you know, he's a, he's a human being and he's got to figure stuff out for himself. Go ahead. You know, you can be, you can be without children, you can be single, or be like, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And all of a sudden you get a two-year-old, don't do it, it's a core. You need to understand that everything Jesus commands us is turning from sin and turning from, to God. Uh, we love sin. We love our own works. We love doing stuff and building stuff and building giant towers and say, look, everybody, I built a tower and it's awesome. Worship me. We love keg stands and wiling out. We love partying down. We love doing whatever it is, whatever we like. And it's on spectrums of good works to wiling out. And all of it is for us, with us at the center of the equation. We spend our whole lives trying to displace God and stand in the center and say, everyone celebrate me. I am awesome. Look over here. I am amazing. And it turns out that is misery. That's misery. I, I heard a stat on NPR yesterday. They did a study and found that the more time a person spends on Facebook, for example, doesn't do anything but make them more bummed and more lonely, correlated to how much time you spend on the thing, right? We live these lives centered around us, and it turns out the more our lives are centered around us, the more of us we get. I'm sick of me. I want Jesus, right? So what's the gospel here? We need to understand these things. Keeping the commandments is in response. It's in response to the cross. It's in response to God and his glory. It's in response to what his, Jesus has done. It's in response to the fact that Jesus has saved me for myself. It's in response to that. It's not so that he'll love me. So hear it. Hear the order. The order, the grammar is about the same in the Greek. Learn to read your Bible, please, anchor church. Learn to read your Bible slowly, please. So it doesn't say, it, it, he's not being like a manipulative boyfriend or girlfriend, right? If you love me, you would. If you really loved me, you could prove your love to me by, my dad had some blue collar, you know, factory worker wisdom, and he said, if someone ever says that to you, you run the other direction, right? If you love me, you would do these things. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's evidence. It's evidence that we know Jesus, that we believe him, we trust him, and we understand that when he says, hey, don't touch the pan, it's hot, he actually means the pan is hot and you will get burned. And yet, you still gotta, kids still got to touch it, right? The street is, it is a parking lot, like every parking lot in the world. This one is full of cars that move and will run you over. Parking lot rules apply in every parking lot, in every place, in every time. Mom and Papa say that because we love you, Right? If you love me, obey my commandments. Now, I think our pushback is to this, is particularly in our time and place here in, in, the, in the west of the west, you know, in the, uh, in the Amsterdam of America here in Seattle. Uh, we love to be where we don't want people to tell us what to do, right? And we kind of have this thing where, well, if God really loved me, wouldn't he just want me to do whatever I want to do? I, I, shouldn't I just be able to do whatever I want to do? He's God, and we can hang out and kind of have this roommate relationship and God will be cool with me and I'll be cool with God and everything will be great. How would that work in any other relationship in your life? If your husband or wife just said, I'll just do whatever I want to do and that'll be cool, right? No. Uh, or, or maybe your kids. 
I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, and it's going to be fine. Or, or maybe, maybe if you're a boss, your employees. Your employees are just going to do whatever they want. They're just going to organize themselves and do whatever. I'm not saying be a, a hard boss. I'm just saying that might not be the best move. Or vice versa. Your boss is just going to do whatever they want to do. Right? We don't want that. We like the idea of being the, the, the self-organizing employee, but the boss, uh, having a boss who does whatever they want to do. When I, I worked in restaurants, all my experience outside of ministry is all restaurants. And, and they're very helpful because they teach you some things and how restaurants are run because they're usually family businesses. And I found uh, that when my boss, when the bank account was low, we became a family and we had to pull together, and please don't deposit your paycheck, even though you've got rent due. If you could really wait till Monday, I'd really appreciate it. We're a family. I really appreciate that. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. And then when I needed something, when I had a family emergency, when I had the crisis, I was reminded that I was to be on the clock at certain times, and that not all my bosses, but I had bosses that were like that. And it was their way of doing whatever they wanted to do. They needed me not to cash the, pay, cash the paycheck. We were a family. Uh, they needed me to, uh, to work late. All of a sudden, I'm an employee, and I need to know my place, right? Nobody wants a boss who's just going to do whatever they want to do, right? So here's the deal. Our relationship with God is not different. It's not an obey your thirst, listen to the Sprite commercial deal. God loves you. You need to know that. God loves you. And in fact, John is so clear in 1 John, he loved you before you loved him. He loved us while we were enemies. That's a strong word. Well, I was living a life diametrically opposed to Jesus who came and saved me for myself. Why wouldn't I want to listen to him? Because when I'm living my life diametrically opposed to Jesus, it's just the danger zone. Right? But here's how it works out. If you love me, it's conditional, you will keep my commandments. It's evidence. Third class conditional what it's called in fancy pants Greek. So if you're doing this, this is what's going to happen. If you love me, you're going to obey me. Catch the order. It's not that you obey so that you will love God. And also clearly, I just I got to lay it out so crystal clear. This is not, 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 if you obey me, then I will love you. It's if you love me, you'll obey me. Are we clear on that? We get that order? The other one's false religion. This is gospel. Okay, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Uh, your Bible translation, that H should be a capital. There are no capitals in Greek, but that H should be a capital. That's the Holy Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, so the Old Covenant's the old way we related to God, kind of Old Testament. We got Jesus' life and ministry, which my Texas teacher calls the tweener period. I'm not even sure what a tweener is, but the in-between times, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, Right? And in the Old Covenant, we did things like sacrifices, went to the temple, and in the New Covenant, we are the temple, and Jesus is our sacrifice, and there's this in-between time that Jesus is walking them and ushering them through. The kingdom is now, the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's not yet. And so he even says to them, on this side of the cross, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he's going to be in you. Prepositions are funny things. I didn't know what a preposition was until like last week. It's about those words, in and on, they're very important. 
So what Jesus is doing is changing the way the relationship works at the cross. Uh, there's that great scene, I believe it's in Mark's gospel, where they come into the temple, and there's the Holy of Holies, and they come into this place where only one guy gets to approach the presence of God one time a year, and as Jesus dies on the cross to sacrifice for our sins to make us right with God, the curtain is torn from the top down, top to bottom, full access to God for the people of God through Jesus Christ. That's what it's symbolizing. So not only is God with you, Anchor Church, God has taken up residence inside of you. That is the gospel truth. That is life in Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. I run out of words to articulate that. God has taken up residence inside of you in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8. So beautiful and clear outlines. You run out of words to articulate this beautiful truth, but see this. So God's not saying, obey my commandments. And we're going to look at it further as he talks about being orphaned. We're not just called, here's the rules, and you will follow them. God is sending His Spirit to be with us and empowering us to obey those commandments, to resist temptation, to walk in the light, and to be people of God. How about that? Nowhere in the New Testament is it going to say, Jesus loves you, died for your sins, now get to work on your own. Go with me to John chapter, 1 John, pardon me. First time I ever really actually sat in church. First time I ever actually really sat in church. We were in 1 John, and I was in John's Gospel, or vice versa, and I was really, really lost. There's John's Gospel, and there's John. And then I realized the actual reference we're in is James. And then we'll go to 1 John. No, we're going to go to John. We'll skip James. Whoever's running the slides, sorry. That's my fault. Uh, if you go with me to John's Gospel. Oh, pardon me, 1 John, there it is. Um, Here's how this dynamic works out. Verse 5, chapter 1. This is the message. We. Why does John use a we? He means the apostles there. It's the apostolic witnesses. We. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. This church he's writing to. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Meditate on that for a while. If we say we have fellowship with him, now, we're, again, we're talking about obeying here, listening to his commandments. If we say we have fellowship in him while we walk in darkness, while I'm doing what I want to do, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But hear this. But if we walk in the light, following Jesus, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Because it turns out when you run around in the dark, it actually breaks down what happens in here. It happens in community group. It happens in friendship. It breaks it down. While we walk in darkness, we lie. Uh, but if we walk in light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Another preposition. All sins. I don't care what this morning looked like in the minivan. I don't care what last night looked like. All sins. If you're in Christ, you're clean. You're clean. There's nothing you've got, and there's nothing you can hang on to, and there's nothing you've got that's bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. You're clean. You're clean. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and say the truth is not in us. If we say, yeah, I, I you know, I had my party days. You know, a lot of times the honky-tonk and doing whatever. But, you know, I really clean up my act, and I've gotten my life figured out, and no more sin around here. We're being sanctified, brothers and sisters. If you're a Christian, you're being sanctified. You're being changed to be like Jesus, and it is a process. 
It's a day-in, day-out process where it turns out sometimes you don't even know you've got something. You flip over your rock and you're like, man, that thing's been hanging out for a long time. I didn't even know that was a sin. Look at it right there. Woo! How long have I been doing that? He's good to forgive us. He's good to cleanse us. He's good to change us. And he's working on you. And I, and, I, and I feel like I can't say some of these things enough. Like we could just come in and say these things over and over again. You're in process. He's working on you. And it might not feel like it. You might not feel glorified. That's when you're without sin with Jesus forever. Because you're not. You're being sanctified. Sometimes sanctification even hurts. You're not glorified yet. You're not perfect yet. We don't use that as the, the blank check. Well, I'm not perfect yet, so it's time for the, uh, the afternoon kegger. That's not what we're saying by any stretch or any means. In fact, Paul's going to tell us in Romans, if you hear that he's forgiven you for all your sins and now it's time to go wild out, he's going to say, you didn't even hear what I was saying. You missed the whole gospel purpose and point. He keeps going. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Can you see how they're getting worse? These consequences are getting worse for the, the effects of, of this. I also love in all these, he comes back and gives us a little bit of hope every time. A little bit of hope, a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope. Did you see that? Thank you, John. Nice way to write. If we say, I oh, we did that. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us their sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I think what we, this means here is that we're faithful to confess those sins we see, but he's also faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That thing that's hiding under the rock, that thing that I'm not going to see for five years. You'd be like, you mean I can't drive like that? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is for you. You got one coming too, so don't, don't put me on the hook. We've all got one coming. He's faithful to forgive you for those things. Hear that. When you see it five years from now, you're like, oh, I remember that guy was talking about that thing that one time? Yeah, there it is. Whew. His grace is big. We got a big God with some big grace, Right? Yeah, somebody's awake. <laughs> Maybe I'm now. Here we go. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, this is not a blank check. I can't say that enough either. This isn't a blank check. This is grace. If we say we have not sinned, this is totality, past tense. I don't believe in sin. Sin isn't real. People are just people. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever that is. He's saying if that is your stance and that is your approach, it's not mine, it's He's using this example. If we say we have not sinned, past tense, into the future, we make him a liar. We make Jesus a liar. Because he didn't need to come and die on the cross for any reason. Because we have no sin. But we do have sin, so he came to die on the cross and he cleanses us of all sin. Praise the Lord. And his word is not in us. Oh, that's scary stuff. But listen to this. This is why we're really here. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children... I love that, I mean, I love that. John is a pastor, and he says these hard things, and he brings them in and says, now, my little children, and you'll have to understand, too, I would never call you my little children. John's really, 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 really old, so he can say that. He's like grandpa, grandpa, like great-grandpa age, and so he can say things like that to his people. He's the oldest guy around. My little children. Technia, it's kind of a fun word. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Can you think of him, I mean, you kind of hear there's an echo here, I think, what we're looking at in John's gospel. John's there, by the way, at that, that dinner. My little children, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you so you wouldn't walk in darkness. I'm walk, writing these things so you would follow Jesus. I'm writing these things so you would love another and you would love God. But hear this. But, but, if anyone does sin, 
when you're pulling out of the parking lot, there's other minivans honking at you. And they flash you a universal sign of disapproval. Like, didn't I see him in the coffee line? If we say we have not sinned, oh, sorry, back here. Uh, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is the same sentiment here in John. It says both of the Spirit and of Jesus that they're pulling for us. As we're following him, as we're walking that command, as we're striving to love one another, as we're striving to love God, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, Romans 8. So, so when you're that guy driving out of the parking lot and you're flashing the universal sign of disapproval, that Jesus sees you if you're in him, and again, not a blank check, sees you in Christ, and Jesus says to the Father, paid for, in full, on the cross. That's the fuel for change. Not I'm going to try harder so God will love me more, but I'm so loved by God and so forgiven by God that, of course, all I want is God. Likewise, we have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who's pulling for us and fighting for us. Go back with me to John, if you would, please. So you see this? They're going together. So the kingdom of God is about reign and relationship. The rule and reign of Jesus in our lives is about the fact that he's reigning in our lives and we're glad to follow him, but also that he loves us and he's with us He's holy and he's holy and loving. You know, it's the both, the both in the both in. Verse 18. Back in John. I will not leave you as orphans. A lot of us don't have great parents. Some of you do, praise the Lord. And those of us who are parents want to be great parents. Right? What's amazing is, is that on the scale you put your dad, you have awesome dad, and maybe somebody else has not so awesome dad, and you put them on the scale with God, and they both pale in comparison. So he's telling us to obey him. If you, again, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But here in 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Because he's foreshadowing the cross here. But you will see me. They're confused. Because in the last couple of chapters, we just found out Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. And they can even get, so you're going to go on a cross and you're going to die. I don't get that because you're the Messiah. You're supposed to kick the Romans out. You're supposed to be the conquering king. You're supposed to do things the way the world does it, and you're doing it some other way that I don't really understand. So we're not going to see you anymore. I get it. And he says, well, they're not going to see me anymore, but you're going to see me. And at this point in time, they begin to kind of scratch their heads and say, you should go back and study prepositions, Jesus, because you don't know what you're talking about. Of course he does, and they don't, and that's the joke. Joke. Because I live, you also will live. Hear it. Here it is again. You're not alive in Christ because you obey his commandments. You obey his commandments because you're alive in Christ. You're not alive because you've done something awesome. You're alive because Jesus made you alive and he's done something awesome. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, this is the Old Testament nerd moment. In that day is an Old Testament flag that they'd be hearing, oh, wait a second, in that day, in that day, in the day of the Lord, 
In that day when, when the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. In that day when, when the wicked are going to be judged and the righteous are going to live with God and the oppressed are going to have life and, and the blind will see and the lame will walk and they'll leap for joy and God wipes every tear from every eye and God puts the world back the way it's supposed to be in that day. That's what they're woo, 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 hearing. We don't always hear it because we're not as steeped in the Old Testament, but the, any of that kind of language to them triggers, oh, more of that Messiah stuff, more of that world putting back together stuff. In that day, you will know that I am in, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Tiny little words in English, tiny little words in Greek. Simple, straightforward, clear. Almost unintelligible and nonsensical. All at the same time. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is God, and you'll know it for sure. And you and me. So you're going to send this helper who's going to be with us and in us, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is going to be in the Father, and you're going to be in us. Through the cross, sinners, miserable sinners, have everything broken down. The dividing wall between ourselves and God is completely broken down by the cross of Jesus Christ, so much so that he can say things like, you're in me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is it, pardon me, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You and I live lives as Christians, Jesus manifesting himself to us through the Holy Spirit his word, through prayer, through communion, through fellowship. Amazing. And by communion, I mean fellowship and synonyms there, not necessarily. That's a different sermon. 22. Judas. Now, you gotta, you got to be bummed out, just to be honest. Your name's Judas. And then all this goes down. This is about to go down. So Judas is left to go do his Judas thing, Judas hasn't had his name ruined yet. But then John puts in parentheses as he's writing, not Iscariot, by the way. Not that guy, the other guy. It's also funny, you get a guy named Justice who's named Jesus in Romans, and after Jesus, they start calling him Justice instead of Jesus. And there's a direct correlation in the first couple of centuries. Jewish people stopped naming their kids Yeshua or Jesus, and Christians also stopped naming their kids. The Jewish folks aren't so keen on the whole Messiah thing, so they stopped naming their kids Jesus, and then Christians are like, I would never do that to my kid, that's too much weight, we're not going to name him Jesus. It's kind of an interesting thing. But here we are, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, he's got to ask, right, because they don't understand what he's saying, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Great question. How are we going to see you and they're not going to see you? Because that sounds like I've got an imaginary friend or something. So I'm going to see you. They're not going to see you. Uh, by the way, in the first century, that still makes you a little off. Here, Jesus. 
if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. So again, keeping the word, listening to him, trusting him, obeying him, listening to him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear, the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. We have a tendency uh, to have kind of a scripture selective hearing, right? A great example of that is in James. That's where it was, and it was out of order. So you get when you put your post-it notes in your Bible late at night. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, don't worry about going there on the slides, but it's up there. Uh, James chapter 1 and 22. Here's what I mean by scripture selective hearing. Uh, down in 26, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is the one time that religion is used positively, by the way, in the Greek New Testament. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the fa- to the, uh, the Father is this. Now, what do you fill in the blank here in your mind when you start hearing these verses if you're familiar with them? We usually do the A line, but not the B line of this verse. What do I mean by that? I mean this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and we stop right there. That's, and the people say, that's true religion. Helping people, serving people, caring for people. Yes, all day long, yes. Yeah, love God, love people. Yes, that includes sharing the gospel with them. That includes sharing food with them. That involves if you've got two tunics lying around and somebody else needs a tunic, give them your tunic. Coats are probably a little easier. I don't have any tunics, but I don't want yours. If you have two, give one away, right? Yeah, love people. Absolutely love people. We bring diapers for Family Works because we love people. Uh, We bring diapers to help the people at Family Works every month. We fulfill their diaper pantry needs, and we do that because we love them. Now, we want them to meet Jesus, but we also love them and want to just help them with our material ability. Now, back to James, and we stop there. Visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, right? And, wait, there's an and there? What do you mean there's an and there? Because no one ever quotes the B line. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's loving people and being holy yourself. And part of your holiness is loving people. Uh, But don't think that, well, he's such a nice guy and he just does all this stuff. We need to be cleansed from our sins. We need to be made right with God. And as soon as you say, but he's such a nice person, you've just reduced religion back down to works. And the reason he's such a nice person and deserves anything is because he's doing something. And last time I checked, I don't want to be on that scale. I want grace. I want God to forgive me for my sins, not because of anything I've done. So we have selective hearing with Scripture. And we need to make sure it's Scripture. It's not just, well, you know, Andrew said that, you know, holy people. I saw this yellow Cadillac in LeConnor. This lemon yellow, like 19, like 77. Guy must have had a, I don't know where the driver was, but I'm sure he was wearing a mesh back hams cap somewhere because that's what my grandpa drove and that's what he wore. Uh, perfect old car. Do you need to drive a perfect old car? No, I don't drive a perfect old car. But there's a bunch of things that are even 
just ridiculous, that can have this sense of, well, if you're really a Christian, or you're really this, or you're really that, if it's not in here, it's not really something that's really, really a thing you need to do. Can I say that a different way? 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you need to wear silly sweaters. I wear silly sweaters all the time. They're not silly. I like sweaters. I'm not wearing one today because it's hot. I wear sweaters. You need to wear sweaters. No, please don't. That would creep me out. Don't come dress like me. Right? You need to listen to Conway Twitty. No. Only I need to listen to Conway Twitty. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. I could go down a list of my idiosyncrasies, right? You don't need to worry about my idiosyncrasies. No. It's not your problem. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I love God and love others. 1 Corinthians, pardon me, uh, 1 Thessalonians. Here's what I mean. Here's what Paul's concerned with. Why do I flip around a bunch, by the way? I want you to know your Bible, and I want you to see that this isn't just John. This isn't just isolated. This is all over the place. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, starting in 1. Finally, in, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge, and this is, he's going to use a couple examples, but, but we'll just work through them and get to the thing we're trying to get to, because I'm running out of time. Uh, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us, now you ought to walk and to please God. It pleases God when you choose Jesus instead of sin. It's, it's possible to please God because you have a new heart and the Holy Spirit. You're not earning points, but it is possible to live a life. There's kind of like a, uh, you know, it's been called like a Puritan worm theology where we're just all bad all the time to the point that we miss the fact that we've been forgiven from our sins and get to live a life in Christ. Yeah, apart from Christ, yeah, dead. No, no doubt, yeah, absolutely. In Christ, sinner being sanctified, yes, absolutely. You can live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, pleasing to God. You can live a life that makes God happy, empowered by His Spirit with a new heart. You've got a life to live, live. For you know what instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God your for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you known, know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgression and wrong his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us from impurity, for impurity, but for holiness. Again, obeying those commandments. Therefore, whoever disregards this, and in this case for us, as Christians with a closed canon, this, this, black and white, chapter and verse, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So if you want to look at this and I preach on something and you don't like what I say and I'm preaching out of the Bible, and I say something out of the Bible, don't steal. Like, no, but stealing's not really that big of a deal. I'm going to steal. Hey, it's, it's not me you've got to have a conversation with. I mean, you can have a conversation with me, and if you're, you know, but the, the, at the end of the day, not to get off on an aside, at the end of the day, it's about the word. Are you going to throw out the word? Are you going to throw out the Bible. This is important. Um, Jesus keeps using all this language, and he's going to use this language in Matthew. You'll know a tree by its fruit. 
right? So one of the things we do, if you're a member of this church, you've been through a membership interview, right? Uh, we've we've uh, gone through our covenant, all the things we do, and we've actually asked you a couple questions. I love our member interviews, by the way. They're not, like, scary. We just have coffee and hang out. But we've asked a couple questions, and we want to make sure a couple things are answered. One, that you know the gospel. Because if you don't know the gospel, all we want you to know is the gospel, right? It's not enough that you just say, yeah, I'm in. We want to know that you know the gospel. But the other thing we're looking for is the fact that you're an actual Christian, right? That, that you're a Christian. And, and yes, every club's an exclusive club, by the way. Uh, some are, well, you have to be have an interest in backyard chickens. Check. The backyard chicken club's not really for people who are not into backyard chickens. Don't join that club, right? Or whatever other Seattle, right? Seattle, 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 Seattle thing you might be into. Um, but as members of the church, we're looking for for Christians. And Jesus is going to say, "You'll know a tree by its fruit." So the tree is Christian. It's a Christian tree. I'm a Christian tree. Now, the fruit that comes out of that is a life changed by Jesus, right? Jesus makes me the tree, and in fact, Jesus is the one bearing the fruit through us. We're actually looking for that obedience and commandment. It's, it's so serious that we don't just write these things off uh, that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is going to say, if you refuse to do this, then, then we can't say you're a Christian. And what we do as a church, when we do that membership interview, we're looking to say, yes, as a community, because we do it together, if you're a member, you know this. If you're not a member, that's how we do it. We do it together. We say, yeah, we affirm so-and-so's witness. Yeah, we welcome them into this church. We affirm this as a Bible-believing Christian. Likewise, when you become a member of a church, you're saying, that is a real church. They preach the real gospel. They believe the real Jesus. And you as members, by the way, have the responsibility that if we're not doing that, you need to fire the elders or leave the church, period. That's what it is to be a member. That is the deal. We talked about this at our members' meetings. Uh, last week, right? So one of the things is we're affirming your witness and you're affirming ours. And we're a people together. Uh, this is so important that Paul's going to go ahead and say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, where's my reference? This is a big chapter. Of course, I just put 1 Corinthians 5. This would be the day that I fall off the stage. <laughs> 8, 8 to 11. Let us, therefore, uh, I'll start in six. Your boasting is not good. So they're boasting, hey, we've got some people who are into this and some people are into that, and everything's good all the time, forever and ever. Amen. Do, not, do you not know that a little, leaven, uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Get a little yeast in your bread and the whole thing pops up. If you've never made bread, you don't know anything about yeast, but he's making a yeast reference. Cleanse out the old leaven. You may be a new lump. Sanctification. And even talking about the church here. Uh, as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil. Again, obeying Jesus, walking in his ways. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. So anything out of one man, one woman, one covenant, one lifetime, but he's going to give this whole other list. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, or greedy, uh, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. This is helpful for us living in a city, right? It's difficult to navigate how to walk with people when they walk in things that are different than when you're accustomed. You're like, well, I have this neighbor, and my neighbor's 
don't love Jesus and they do non-Jesus things, so maybe I should move somewhere else where all the people follow Jesus faithfully all the time. And then you're like, and then we've got this enclave and we have this little colony and we live in Montana and we're all Christians and we're never ever going to sin against each other ever. Wrong. So I move out of the enclave. Montana is too wicked. I'm going to move to North Dakota where I can just live by myself on land, lots of land, by myself, and there will be no sin here whatsoever. Unfortunately, I'm still here, and things are still bad. So what Paul is saying is you cannot leave the world to get away from this stuff. However, we need to be judicious and loving and graceful and kind and considerate and holy in walking in all of it. That's what he's saying there. Anyways, back to the point. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. So this is someone who's saying, yes, I love Jesus, but no, I will not keep his commandments. I love Jesus, will not obey his commandments. I love Jesus, will not do what he says. And what we're not talking about here, to be extra, super, unbelievably clear, I am not talking about people who are struggling. I'm talking about people who say, I see what it says, I know what Jesus is saying, and I don't care. At that point in time, Paul's going to say, I can't associate with you as a brother or sister in Christ. Now here's what we're not doing as a church in that moment in time. Your faith, your salvation, that's in God's hands. I'm not God, and neither is this church. So we're not going to say that you are or are not a Christian. We're going to say, right now I'm having trouble confirming that truth. Together as a community, we're having trouble affirming what we affirmed in your membership interview because you're doing things that are directly contrary to what Jesus has said. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. This, this is just the stuff that makes us just so happy in Seattle. This is the party right here. This is hard stuff to talk about, and it's real, but it's true, and we want to take Paul at what he says. We do not uh, associate with anyone who bears the name of brother uh, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Why would you eat with them? Is Subway the deal? Why is Subway the deal? Particularly in this culture, but I think even in, this, in the culture that we're talking about here, first century, you only ate with people you were in relationship with. And, and so when you're in relationship with this person who's just whacked, right? They're, they're saying something contrary to the Bible. They're teaching something contrary to the Bible. And you keep going to Subway with them, and people see you and say, well, that guy's a Bible-believing Christian. I know him. Uh, he's my contractor. He, he shared the gospel with me. He loves Jesus. And he's got this buddy over here. Who I saw at the bar last night doing whatever. Oh, and he said he's a Christian. He said he's a Christian. That must be okay, and that must be okay. It must be all the same, right? Because they're eating together. They're buddies. And he, you know, if, if he really thinks that, if he, you know, if you have a friend who's doing something crazy and dangerous, don't you tell them? I didn't know this till my friend Eric Stark today told me. If you put batteries in a metal drawer, they can catch on fire. Apparently, if you put them in your pocket, they'll get hot. I'm afraid of battery acid, so I don't do that. But apparently, you can catch your pants on fire. Now, if he saw me walking around with batteries in my pants, he would tell me, hey, don't do that. If he sees some, some batteries in your metal drawer, he can say, you're going to burn your garage down. That's not how you treat a craftsman tool drawer. Right? And that's what friends actually do. No one feels loved by someone after the fact. After you're like, you know, I thought driving a car was going to catch on fire and it was going to go really, really poorly for you after you're in the hospital. Thanks. Really feel loved right now. Really feel like you care about me. Really appreciate it. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we don't still have relationship with people. It just means that the tenor of our relationship, I think that the not eating with them piece, really means the tenor of our relationship changes, the kind of relationship we have. We don't just play tennis. We have one thing to talk about, Jesus in the Bible, Jesus in the Bible. And friends, it's a hard day when your friend's in that spot. Man, it makes your stomach hurt, and you can't sleep, and you got that coffee meeting the night before, and you have to say, oh, man, I love you, but this... This is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing, and they're different, and I love you. And hey, this is, this is the deal, right? Like, even in our, again, to refer to our membership, we were voluntarily baptized. No one, this is America. No one made you get baptized. No one made you become a Christian. No one made you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. But even in our covenant, we say, well, because I voluntarily follow Jesus, because I love Jesus, then I will, blah, 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 blah. Right? So back to John's gospel. If anyone loves me, so this is uh, evidential, right? The, the commandment keeping is evidence of our love for him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Well, what does he mean by word? Well, there's a bazillion places, including Matthew chapter 5, bazillion, that's probably an exaggeration. Matthew 5, Luke 24, another place where Jesus clearly believes the Old Testament to be authoritative scripture. And we as Christians take the Bible at face value, things like uh, 2 Timothy and um, Peter, 2 Peter, that refer to the epistola, epistola, I'm going to say letters, letters uh, as authoritatively scripture. And in addition to that, we take the Gospels as the eyewitness of Jesus, the account of Jesus as witness. So we believe his word, we believe what he has said. We are a Bible-believing church, we believe the Bible, period. Um, if there's anything I want us to be known for, uh, they meet on Finney Ridge or they... They have Christmas lights or whatever. If you walk out of this room and you never come back to this community again, you never spend another second with us, and someone says, what do you know about Anchor Church? I want you to say, those guys believe the Bible. They love Jesus, love each other, believe the Bible. Because all the other stuff is so passing, you know? You walk into a church from the 60s that still looks like it was remodeled in the 60s. And it looks like the 60s, and it's awesome. And if, if you're in that, and, and all of a sudden you bring a, another church in there, and was like, this is really cool and, and awesome, because you got brass and velvet and pews. What are pews? <laughs> we like them now. I like old churches. I like old churches a lot. I, I love them. But they, you can tell when they remodeled, right? My, my cousin got married in a little teeny tiny chapel in Virginia. Hadn't changed in 200 years, and you could tell. That stuff, Who cares? It can change, it cannot change, whatever. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So when we believe Jesus, we try and have our whole lives conform to his word. Um, when we don't believe this truth, when we don't believe what he says, we just kind of have a mentality that says, I'm going to either pick and choose or I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Um, and, and we fail to miss, we fail to see how much he loves us, cares for us, and instructs us and guides us and leads us. Here's the thing that I think we should take great comfort whenever we approach the word. God is not hiding. God's not hiding, and he's not hiding what he wants you to do. He's not, though, though, like I said, five years from now, you might turn over that rock and say, ooh, yeah, that wasn't cool. 
that was harsh. That was unkind. That was uh, moving my lot line. That was stealing from my neighbor. I should have told him that. I should probably go talk to him about moving my lot line. Uh, my family's from the county. They have weird illustrations. We hang out with them enough. All of a sudden, you talk about lot lines. It's when you move the line when no one's looking and you pick up some property. Uh, wrong. Don't do that. It's not okay. Don't do it. If you can move your lot line on Shinny Ridge, I'm impressed. But don't do it regardless. Right? You turn over that rock, you're like, I shouldn't have moved that lot line. I should really, uh, I need to, to do this differently. It's not that, that wasn't, it's not that it wasn't clear. You just didn't see it. There's a big difference between that and God saying, welcome to judgment. Um, you should have driven that lime yellow two-door 1978 Cadillac. You are unrighteous in my eyes. Well, I didn't know. I didn't have a verse on that one. It was a surprise. It was the, it was the pop quiz. It was the last test. No. He's, he's made it clear. The thing he's telling us to do, if you love me, you will obey me, you will keep my commandments, and he's given those to us. I take comfort in that. I also take comfort in the fact that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. When we do sin, we're covered by the cross. And for us, I feel like this, this means that as a church, we need to make sure that we are Bible-driven people. Right? This thing we do on Sunday needs to be Bible-centered. One of my favorite preachers once said, people always talk about, when he goes to a thing, he's like, I see that, that, that you say that it's Bible-centered, but I don't hear any Bible. I just hear like, this, that, and the other, like how to help your life, how to balance your checkbook, how to, how to raise your backyard chickens. Where's the Bible in all this? Well, that's foundational. And he made the observation, no one cares about their foundation. No one paints their foundation. No one remodels your foundation until it's got a big old giant crack in it. You've got to lift your house or you're in lots of trouble. No one cares about the foundation. Get the Bible out of the foundation and up into the kitchen is what he said. And I think he's right to say that. We don't want this thing just as foundational. This is the thing that drives how we do training. This is how we drive community. This is, how, this is what drives our understanding of missions and evangelism. What drives the whole thing. And we have to do that together as a church. It can't just be the elders driving that particular ship. It needs to be the church together, being Bible people together, be Bible people together. And for our city, I think this is so important. We're not about being relevant. We're not about trying to impress people. We're not trying to convince them that Jesus is cool. He's the next car to get into. Uh, we're, not, we're not trying to convince them he's the next thing that's going to make your whites whiter. He's Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. And that's relevant. It's more than relevant. It's redemptive. That's all that matters is the gospel. So if you're a Christian, it's a good time to take stock of our life. Are we obeying the word? Are we following the word? And is our life increasingly coming in response to the grace and mercy of Jesus under his word? And if you're not a Christian, you're here today, we have Bibles over there. I would just really invite you to pick one up, start in Matthew, and start reading. Ask questions, any questions. You got weird questions, I'll take the weirdest Bible question you got. I will go all day long with your weirdest Bible question. I'll throw a couple right back at you. You don't have anything. If we get coffee or you get coffee with somebody from a community group or something, that if you say, well, what about this? They're going to say, all right, I'm out of here. I'm done. You offended me. We'll take them. We got them. Ask them. Jesus stands up. Jesus stands up, but, but consider your line and where we're at. This is the word of God. This is who Jesus is. He saved us, made, and